And this is the Christagenia Open Forum. It is um, Monday, June 20th, 2011. I have to make sure this Windows machine is recording my voice. Okay, I'd rather try slaying dragons, but tonight I guess I'll have to slay some turkeys. Tonight's program is basically going to be a retort to certain blasphemies and slanders, which are being uttered by Dan Kersey, Jeff Westover, and Patricia Aiken, a.k.a. Um, Mouthy Patricia. Kersey and Westover 
They seem like nice enough guys, but their panties are wrapped way too tight the wrong way. Aiken is a feminist who cannot get the race issue straight, and because I had to split with Eli James over the race issue, basically, and his academic dishonesty, Aiken now despises me and slanders me for it. She cannot counter any of my doctrine. She cannot counter my position on scripture. So she makes personal ad hominem attacks. Now here she thinks that she can counter my doctrine concerning marriage, and, and her and Kersey and Westover, and they are all seriously wrong, and tonight I will prove it. It amazes me that these turkeys began so heavily criticizing me on this particular topic without even ever asking me for a clarification, because this criticism of me stems from arguments that I made in an off-the-cuff debate a few weeks ago with Bob from Pennsylvania here on, on this server, on this chat server, on a program. Let, let me um, characterize that, and, and I don't think that Kersey or um, Westover would 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 Westover would um <laughs> would disagree that 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 we all agree that basically the sexual act is marriage, and and Bob and I agree on that. When you have sex with a woman and she's a virgin, she is now your wife. If she's not a virgin and she's not a widow, technically, according to the law, she is somebody else's wife. There's no doubt. She's already married. She's already been married. Okay. Where we differ... Aside from the, I'm not even going to get into the laws of divorce in the Old Testament, which actually permitted this, but where we differ is that when you find a woman and she's not a virgin and you, you marry yourself to that woman and, and establish yourself and you have children and, and this and that, that each, well, whether or not each subsequent sexual act is, is a continuation of sin or, or if the sin is already over and done with, and, and since there is no taking it back, you may as well continue in your relationship. It's my opinion that you may as well continue in your relationship. And even though that night Bob from Pennsylvania differed with me playing the devil's advocate, he understands where I was coming from. And I don't think, even though technically we both realize that, yes, it is adultery, I don't think that even Bob would disagree with me now. And, and um, that, that's beside the point. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that I've really caught hell from this, from these people that are basically, that they make themselves out to be modern-day Pharisees. The other night when um, I did the Matthew program on Matthew chapter 12, we saw that the Pharisees take the law to literal extremes and, and allowed no transgression of the law at all under any circumstances. Even to go so far as to take a man who had fallen into a well, and, and I supplied documentary evidence for this from the Dead Sea Scrolls, a man who had fallen into a well on the Sabbath, they would leave him there and for, forbid you from taking the poor bastard out. That's just crazy. 
how do you leave a man in the in the well uh, on the Sabbath day and and tell him, okay, pal, it's it's um it, it's Saturday. I'll come get you tomorrow morning. As soon as I wake up and have my coffee, I'll drive out here and dig you out of that well. But since today's the Sabbath day, I, I just can't do it right now. That's just sick. And, and we, we as a race, we are in dire predicaments today. And, and we're always in dire predicaments. And, and what we have to do is we have to realize that we've screwed up and move forward. And, and we have to teach our children better. There's no doubt. Once a man comes to the truth of the law and Christian identity, he realizes that he has to teach our children better. The fault with these modern-day Pharisees, um, Westover and Aiken and Kersey, is that they don't want us to have children in the first place. That they want to take 90% of our race out of the, the, um, the reproduction game. For, for bit accounts of adultery... Well, well you, you know, Yahshua Christ, he foresaw, God foresaw the predicament that we were going to be in and, and get ourselves into in the state of apostasy that began 2,700 years ago. And, and I bet half of us have been born in adultery over the last 2,700 years. I just bet it. I, I could probably establish that or, or come real close to being able to establish that in, in history. But that's besides the point. If you remember the law of the manor, where the lord of the manor got every virgin on the first night. If you were getting married and you were a serf, well, well you'd get married, but the lord of the manor, manor, he had your wife on the first night. You got her second. That that was the, um, that, that's a custom that dates back to the days of Gilgamesh. That's actually in the epic of Gilgamesh, I could point that out. But it was also very um, common in, in medieval Europe. And, and chieftains that got virgins on their friend. It's the, the adultery in, in our race has, has been um, incredible, there's no doubt. And, and we can't put our imprimatur on it. But as we shall see, we shouldn't let it stop us from reproducing and trying to do better by teaching our children the right way now that we know the truth of who we are and the responsibilities that go along with that truth. So these people want to heavily criticize me. They labeled me a hireling. They've labeled me an adulterer. Because my position is that, yeah, okay, your, your marriage started off on the wrong foot because your wife, your present wife, she wasn't a virgin when you met her. And now you've come to the truth of Christian identity. Well, these Pharisees, they want you to put your wife away physically, basically, and not have sexual relations any longer with her. And I would say that it's just fine to continue those sexual relations. And, and in fact, it's probably better that you have more children. Well, they've really condemned me for it. Jeff Westover and Nalfi Patricia have really condemned me for this. And, and I'm going to show them tonight to be fools. Absolute fools. And, and first, I'd like to start by defining marriage and by proving from the Bible, because Westover made the claim on June 2nd on Kersey's program. He, he wrote an article. I haven't read it, but, but he really didn't cite the proper scripture. And, and I'm going to prove that while well, well, sexual intercourse is marriage. And, and first, let me state that the Greeks believe this, too. And, and I have one line 
Uh, I only have one example right now because this this came off the top of my head a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't looked for more, but I know that many more examples do exist in Greek literature. That there should be no doubt, and and this is one example. It's it's Hecuba. It's a it's a tragic poet. It, it's the author is Euripides. This is a tragic poem about the Trojan women who were taken as booty from Troy after their husbands were slain and the Trojans lost the Trojan War. And, and um, Hecuba makes the statement concerning Neopotalamus, whose booty she became. And, and she understood that she was to become his concubine, a wife in, in the purview of the Hebrew Bible. She would become another wife, let's put it that way. And, and the, the line states that um, she, she's asking him not to bring her dead husband's shield in, into the bedroom where she's going to become his bride. And it says she begged him also not to bring his bronze-backed shield, the Achaean's terror which this boy's father used to hold against his side, to the home of Peleus, or to take it into the same chamber where she will become his bride. And, and we have a lot of references like that in Greek writings. And, and those references prove that the Greeks understood that the sex act was when a woman became a bride, right? And, and the Greek word for chamber there is thalamus, and thalamus, a thalamus is a bedroom or a bridal chamber. It's a bedroom or a bridal chamber because marriage happened in a bedroom. It's real simple. That's why the word shares both of those definitions. So the ancient Greeks, and, and I have papers on my site, right, on Christogenia, proving that um, ancient Greek culture is basically Hebrew culture. That They're the same. And, and we're going to see that now, and I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 29. We're going to see in Genesis chapter 29... Um, unequivocal proof that sex, the sexual, the act of sexual intercourse is what makes a marriage and nothing else. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. Then Jacob, verse 1, went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And there were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, from where are you? Whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran we are. Remember that Abraham came from a town named Haran in northern Syria, right? Well, that's where Jacob is. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter comes with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, or, or around noon, right? Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they rolled the stone for the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while he yet spoke with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, Rachel was his first cousin, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone for the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. 
And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He was happy to see her. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, or male relative, in this case actually a nephew, and that he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. And it came to pass, when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, should thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah was tender-eyed. That Hebrew word actually means, it, it's, an, it's an allegory, it kind of means that Leah was timid. Right? She was timid or we died. But Rachel was beautiful and well favored. And Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger man thy young thy younger daughter. So we see that there's a clear contract between Jacob and Laban for the hand of Rachel. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Laban agreed to the contract Jacob offered for the hand of Rachel. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. Perform the act of sexual intercourse. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. They had a, a, a party, a wedding supper. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he, meaning Jacob, went in unto her. Now there's a parenthetical statement here. And Laban gave to his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his maid, for a handmaid. Verse 25. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he, meaning Jacob, said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you beguiled me? Right here, Jacob understood being a noble man and not a scumbag. A scumbag would want to reject Leah after he slept with her and insist on Rachel. Jacob, being a noble man, understood that he was married to Leah, even though that wasn't what he contracted for. The wedding didn't happen in the contract. The wedding didn't happen in an agreement, at an altar, at a feast. The wedding happened when Jacob went in unto Leah. When he copulated in her, that's when she became his bride. The nobleman understood that. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, meaning a week of seven years, seven more years of labor, 
and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet another seven years. That seven years is equal to the dowry. That, that's why Jacob had to work the seven years, because he had no money with him. He had no dowry. He, brought, he, he, he didn't have anything. And Laban said, it must not, uh, I'm sorry. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel. So in verse 30, Jacob married Rachel through the act of sexual intercourse. And he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet another seven years. And that's all I'll read of this chapter. There's a few more verses left. I don't think they're important that they t basically talk about the, the um, Yahweh's favoring Leah and, and, and Leah's fertility and Rachel's barrenness because Jacob hated Leah and loved Rachel and favored Rachel. So Yahweh favored Leah. And Leah had lots of children. So we see in Genesis chapter 29, it's very, very clear that the only thing that constituted the act of marriage was the act of intercourse. Now I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we will also see, and this is the Christogonian New Testament, but you can see this in the King James Version as well. We will also see in the New Testament, in Paul's writing, that basically Paul expected the same standards to be upheld, that a woman who was a virgin had sex, and that's how she became married. And, and actually Paul expected the same standard for men, and, and we'll see that. One Corinthians seven one. Now concerning those things you have written, it is admirable for a man not to join to a woman. He who makes himself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake, right? But because of fornication, each man must have his own wife. We are men. We are weak. Because of fornication, because of our proclivity to go out and screw around in our moment of weakness, it's better for us, as Paul says here, that each man has his own wife. And each woman must have her own husband. The husband must render the obligation due to the wife. In other words, the husband has a sexual obligation to the wife and must fulfill it. And in like manner, the wife also to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. So don't come home with any tattoos scratched across your entire hind end and expect your husband to be pleasantly surprised. And in like manner also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Do not withdraw from one another. Unless in agreement for a time in order that you would devote time to prayer, and then come together into one place again. In other words, we shouldn't be, when we're married, we should simply shouldn't have long periods of separation from each other. It's not natural, and Paul will explain that momentarily. And come together in one place again, that the adversary would not tempt you due to your incontinence. 
Paul's approach to Scripture is very, and, and, and life is very practical. He knows how easy it is to be tempted into sexual incontinence when a man is without a woman and, and when a man has a woman but separates himself from her for an extended period of time. That's what he's explaining here in this chapter. Now, I say this in the way of consent and not in the way of command. Paul is saying what's about to, what he's about to say because he has no scripture to support it. He's basically giving his, his um, opinion that the scripture commits, permits it. That I wish all men to be even as myself. Paul was a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He explains that in another epistle, that he has the authority to get married and, and to ha expect the assemblies to help support him. And, and that's basically what he's saying, but that he would rather not do that so that the good message of the gospel is not burdened and, and he's able to carry his message without having to worry about a wife and a family. He became a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And he wishes that all men were like him. And, and um, that, that means that we, uh, to me, that means we'd be tempting God to, to return. We'd be tempting him to return to Christ, right? We'd be daring him. Okay, there aren't any of us left. You're going to come back now? And, and to, I, I wouldn't advocate that we don't have children, but I'm not Paul. Paul wished for all men to be even as himself, However, then he says, and, and I'm sorry, I lost, I lost my place. <laughs> and, but each has his own gifts from Yahweh, in that manner one and in that manner another. Some of us are, are, are gifted by God to have many children and, and wives, and, and we probably should. And, and some of us, um, well, well, I don't know if wives are all at different times. is that, That's not scriptural, but... You know what I mean. Jacob had four wives, and, and that was basically a gift from Yahweh. It, 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 even though the ideal model is found in Isaac, where Isaac had only one wife, and that's the ideal model, and, and we could talk about that too maybe later on, but Jacob had four wives, and, and we might think, we men might think that's a blessing, and in reality, it's probably not because you have to deal with the rivalries of different women in the household and all that. I, I wouldn't advise it. Okay, that I wish all men to be even as myself, but each has his own gift from Yahweh in this manner one and in that manner another. But I say to those unmarried and to those who are widowed, well for them it is, if perhaps they should remain even as I. In other words, not married were widowed. But if they have no self-control, they must marry, for it is better to be married than to be inflamed. Now to they who are married, I give order, not I, but the Prince, or, or Christ, the Lord, the Word, the Word of God, for a wife not to be separated from a husband. But if perhaps then she does separate, she must remain unmarried or to the husband be reconciled. So if a woman separates from her husband for any reason, the, the godly example here is to remain unmarried. And, and, and Paul says this is a command of Christ. Okay? And, and we, we can't dispute that. If you know now that if you separate from your husband, 
you should remain unmarried, and that's a command of Christ, that, that an, a woman who's been put away, and, and that's in the gospel, in Mark chapter 10 is one place it is, a woman that's been put away or that puts away her, her husband or that's been put away and, and takes another commits adultery, and that is true. There is no disputing it. It is better, I'm sorry, but if perhaps then she does separate, she must remain unmarried or to the husband be reconciled. And the husband not to put away a wife. Husbands should not divorce their wives. That's the scripture. Now furthermore, I, not the prince, say, Paul, Paul's here giving an opinion, right? If any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she consents to dwell with him, he must not put her away. And if any woman, so don't use her lack of faith as an excuse to put her away, right? And any woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to dwell with her, she must not divorce that husband. Don't use your husband's lack of faith as an excuse to divorce him. The unbelieving husband has been sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified in the brother. They will learn and live by your example. If they choose to live with you, they have to accept your Christianity, right? They have to accept your Christian household. Otherwise, they're not really consenting to live with you, are they? Otherwise, then, your children are unclean. In other words, if your pagan husband raises your children, they're going to be unclean. While now, they are holy because you have a Christian household. In other words, what Paul's saying, he's not saying that you have to compromise because your husband or your wife doesn't believe. That's not what he's saying. You don't compromise your Christianity. And if your spouse decides to stay with you, then your household is going to be a Christian household. That's how your children are sanctified. But if the unbelieving separates himself, let him separate himself. The brother or sister is not reduced to bondage in these instances. So if your husband's not going to allow you to practice your Christianity... Let him go. You have to stand your ground. And if he goes or she goes, you are not reduced to bondage in those instances. But in peace, Yahweh has called us. Indeed, how do you know, wife, if you shall keep the husband? Or how do you know, husband, if you shall keep the wife? I believe Paul's talking about this world, right? Not, not necessarily the next. Only as the prince is distributed to each, as each Yahweh has called, thus he must walk. And thusly in all of the assemblies I prescribe. Being circumcised, has anyone been called? One must not be induced. In circumcision, in, in other words, you're, you're circumcised, you, 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 shouldn't, you should want to accept Christianity and not be dragged into it. In circumcision, has anyone been called? One must not be circumcised. If you're uncircumcised, you must not circumcise yourself. And Paul says in, in another place that he, and, and I know the King James basically mistranslates the medium voice verb, but Paul says that he, getting himself circumcised, according to the Old Testament ritual, 
is liable to do the whole law. You have to keep all the laws because you chose to get yourself circumcised. And that's along the same line as James, who says that he who would keep the whole law and fails in one point is guilty of all. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but an observation of the commandments of Yahweh. Each in the calling in which he has been called, in this he must abide. A bondman you have been called, it must not be a concern to you, but then if you have the ability to become free, rather, you use it. For he who is called a bondman and the prince is a freedman of the prince, likewise, he who is called free is a bondman of Christ. You have been purchased for a price, you should not become slaves of men, each in that which he has been called, brethren, in that he must remain before Yahweh. I'm going to repeat this later. Each in that which he has been called, in that he must remain before Yahweh. Now concerning virgins, a commandment of the prince I do not have, but I give an opinion. As one having received mercy from the prince, from Yahshua, to be trustworthy, really then I suppose that to be such is good because of the present violence. This entire chapter of Paul's has to be taken in this context. He's asking these people, he's telling these people it would be better if they stayed single and didn't marry because they would be ever the more greatly burdened because this was a time of persecution of Christians. It's better not to have a wife and family to worry about when, as a Christian, you might be thrown to the lions. This is the time of Claudius, and there were persecutions in the time of Claudius at the behest of the Jews. The Jews were trying to incite the Romans all over the empire to persecute Christians. So Paul says, and the King James plays this translation down, Paul says, because of the present violence, it's better to be a virgin, to be unmarried, that it is well for a man to be so. Have you been bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Have you been released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But then, if you should be married, you have not erred or sinned. And perhaps, if the virgin should be married, she has not erred. So, Paul expects you to be marrying a virgin. There's no doubt. If you get married, he does expect you to be marrying a virgin. Or a widow, as we can see elsewhere, such as in the epistle to Timothy. But such as these will have anxiety in the flesh... And for my part of you, I am merciful. Now I say this, brethren, the time is shortening. Henceforward it is that even those having wives may be as not having, and those weeping as not weeping, and those rejoicing as not rejoicing, and those trading as not possessing, and those using the society for themselves as not abusing. Indeed, the form of this society passes away, but I wish for you to be unconcerned. The unmarried cares for the things of the prince, the things of Yahshua, how he shall please the prince, but he who marries cares for the things of society, and how he shall please his wife, and he is divided. 
and the unmarried woman and the virgin care for the things of the prince, that she should be holy in both body and spirit. But she being married cares for the things of the society, how she shall please the husband. Now I say this to your advantage, not that I would cast the net upon you, but in respect to decency and constantly waiting on the prince without cause for anxiety. But if one does consider to be unseemly towards the virgin, if perhaps he is beyond adolescence, and in this way he ought to be, that which he wishes he must do, if he does not err, they must marry. But he who has stood firm, steadfast in his heart, not holding forcibly, but who has authority over his own will, and he has decided in his heart to keep himself a virgin, he does well. And therefore, he that is giving in marriage himself to a virgin will do well, but he not giving in marriage will do better. And Paul is talking about the present violence. That's why Paul makes the reference to those people who decide to marry having an anxiety in the flesh. Because when you marry and have children in this first century and Christians are being persecuted and thrown to the lions and beheaded on account of the Jews who are actively seeking out Christians and, and attempting to destroy Christianity, that's what was happening and that's what Paul is responding to with these people. But we see that Paul expected married people people getting married, ideally to be virgins, that there should be no doubt about that. And, and that's the statement he's making here. A perfect lawful marriage consists of a man and a woman who's a virgin. And therefore, he that is giving himself in marriage will do well, but he not giving in marriage will do better. A wife is bound for as long a time as her husband may live, but if perhaps her husband should die, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Alone in the prince, it perhaps then she is happier, so she should remain, according to my opinion. Paul has no scripture for this. He's giving an opinion, and I think that I also have the spirit of Yahweh. Mark 10.7 For this cause shall a man leave his wife, leave his father and mother, I'm sorry, and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter, and he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery against her. And that's absolutely true. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. If a woman shall put away her husband. In Luke, Paul said, I'm sorry, in Luke, Christ says that the man that puts his wife away forces her to commit adultery. Because he understands, as was the culture at the time, he understands that a woman just couldn't make it on her own a woman would have no sustenance on her own. She would become a whore, or she would look for a man that would accept her. And he who puts away his wife forces her to commit adultery. Deuteronomy 22.13, The Law of the Virgin. 
If any man takes a wife and goes into her and hates her, and gives occasions of speech against her, and brings up an evil name upon her, and says, I took this woman, and when I came into her, I found her not a maid. I found her not a virgin. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city gate. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my, father under, I, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he hates her. They should be able to access the tokens of her virginity, right? Because the man has just taken this wife and gone into her. If Jacob rejected Rachel, Laban would have had the tokens of Rachel's virginity on his bed in his house, right? You can't wait six months later to make this claim that she wasn't a virgin. You can't wait six years later to make this claim that she wasn't a virgin and begin to re reject your wife six months later or six years later, and we will see that. If a man claims that the woman wasn't a virgin and she was, the man is chastised and fined and forced to take the woman to wife. That's the law of the virgin. A man, the man himself, has to voice opposition to the fact that the woman was not a virgin. If the man finds that the woman was not a virgin and he accepts her, and doesn't complain. First, who's to know? It's between you and God. And you and that woman. And second, you've accepted her. You have no legitimate recourse. You've accepted her in a non-virginal state. You have no legitimate recourse. Now, this is where it comes down to, and I'm going to talk about this more in a, in, a, in a few minutes. This is where it comes down to the modern-day Pharisees. If I know any of you men here in, in this forum, and, and I think I know most of you, and, and one of you comes to me and says, Bill, I'm getting married, uh, I'd say congratulations. I wouldn't say, is she a virgin? I wouldn't say, is she a widow? It's none of my damn business. It's between you and the woman, and the woman's family, and God. I am not going to be a modern-day Pharisee. Now, of course, if I know that one of you is taking a woman to wife that belongs to another one of you, then you're going to hear it from me. And, and that's absolutely unacceptable to all of us, I pray. Okay? And, and that's obvious. That, that's wrong. That's, that's dead obvious. But if you come to me and say, I'm getting married, and, and um, well, I got married, actually, if, um, since marriage is the act of sex, I'm not going to say, was she a virgin? It's not my, my position. It's nobody's position here. As long as you're not hurting another brother, what the hell is it to me? As long as you haven't damaged anybody, what the hell is it to me? It's nothing to me. I'm not going to put my head in your bedroom. That's Phariseeism. We didn't take the law. Well, we didn't take up Christianity to become the Pharisees. 
and I'll quote from James later, to establish my position on that. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. We have one man going around telling people that they were married to the first person they had sex with. So what they have to do is they have to go back and find their first partner, and that's their wife or their husband. Well, you know something? I'm pretty sure, and I think it would be safe to say, I mean, it's not going to be guaranteed, right? But I think it would be pretty safe to say that, you know, I probably, I don't want to use myself as an example, but I probably had a dozen women. And I'm sure that each of those women, since they've parted ways with me, each of those women, I, I never had a one-night stand in my life, right? I'm being honest. And, and um, I had girlfriends that I had sexual relationships with, and some of them had kids, and some of them didn't. Well, well, each of those women, I'm sure, have had sex with other men since they departed ways with me, especially since this started 30, 34 years ago, right? So, so I'm not going to go back and try to look for my first old girlfriend and, and um, tell her that she's supposed to be my wife. And, and I know her. She's probably had 18 guys already. Uh, okay? And, and I'm not going to go back to the second one or the third one or the fourth one or the fifth one. It just isn't happening. Okay? And this is why it's not happening. Okay? So whoever, and, and you know who you are, and, and um, yet you're telling people to go back and find their first lover because that's their, their wife. Well, well, that's just wrong, and this is why it's wrong. You've got to read the whole Bible, right? Deuteronomy 24.1. When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house... She may go and be another man's wife. And if the later husband hates her and writes her a bill of divorcement and gives it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or later, if the husband dies, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, in other words, husband number one, may not take her again to be his wife after she is defiled after she has sex with somebody else. For that is an abomination before Yahweh, and shalt not cause the land to sin, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which Yahweh thy God has given thee for an inheritance. In other words, you, you've had a sexual partner, a woman, let's call her a wife, whether she was a virgin or not, and she goes and sleeps with another man because you put her away, you put her out of your house, you divorced her, whatever, and, and she has a sexual relationship with another man, you can't take her back again, period, according to the law. So if you want to enforce the law of marriage, you can't pick and choose what laws you want to keep. You keep the law of God or you don't. You also have to accept the law of divorce. And that means that when your wife and you split and she's had other men, it's an abomination if you take her back. 
So the the fool is teaching people to go find their first lovers because that's their husband or that's their wife. Well, he's just a fool. And now he's going to know that he's just a fool. He's not here right now, but I know he's going to listen to this podcast. Read the whole law if you want to be a doctor of the law. What Paul was teaching about Israel and the law. Romans chapter 7. These modern-day Pharisees that want to rule over, each other, over other people's faith, they want to... Um, That they, they want to use Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3 to do that, and, and they're totally ignoring the rest of Paul's statement here in Romans and what Paul's really saying. So let's see what he's saying. Are you ignorant, brethren? I speak to those who know the law, that the law lords over the man for as long a time as he should live. For a woman to be married for a woman married to a living husband is bound by law. But if the husband should die, she is discharged from the law of the husband. So then, as the husband is living, she would be labeled an adulteress if she were found with another man. But if the husband should die, she is free from the law, she is not an adulteress being found with another man. Consequently, my brethren, you also are put to death in the law through the body of Christ, for you to be found with another, who from the law, who from the dead was raised in order that we should bear fruit for Yahweh. Indeed, when we were in the flesh, the occurrences of fault or sin, which through the law operated in our members for the bearing of fruit for death, but now we are discharged from the law, being put to death in that which we were held so that we are bound in newness of spirit and not oldness of letter. Romans chapter 7 is explaining that we, Israel, are discharged from the law. We're not going to be judged by the laws found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. That's the mercy we have in Christ. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. These Pharisees would like to quote Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, and just absolutely ignore the subsequent verses, where Paul says that we're discharged from the law. That is a paradox. There is a greater Christian paradox. That's a paradox how they could do that, how they could tie us to one verse and ignore another one, but which um, shows that they're wrong to tie us to the first one. They're just not reading the Bible through in context. They'd rather take two verses out of context so they could rule over their brother and put their heads into his bedroom, into his relationship with his wife, They'd rather rule over his brother and his relationship with his wife. And I'm going to show how wrong they are for that in a minute. Two Corinthians chapter 11. Eve was a virgin. 
why was Eve a virgin? Well, first, there's absolutely no mention in Genesis of Adam and Eve having a sexual relationship before Eve and the serpent had a sexual relationship. Two Corinthians chapter eleven verse two. For I admire you with the zeal of God, for I have joined you to one husband to present a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest in any way, as the serpent had thoroughly beguiled Eve in his villainy, your thoughts would be corrupted from that sincerity and that purity which is with the anointed. What Paul is saying here is that Eve was a virgin. Eve was a virgin and the serpent beguiled her. The allegory has to work two ways. It has to work both ways or it's not an allegory. If Paul is saying that the assembly is a virgin and they shouldn't be beguiled as Eve was beguiled, well, then he's making an, an, an equivalency and, and it shows that his thinking is that Eve was also a virgin when she was beguiled. Anyone that doubts that, that that is correct, can just simply go to Genesis chapter 2 and find where Adam had sex with Eve before the serpent did. You won't find it. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh had made. That means that we find out why this entity is called a serpent. It doesn't mean that Yahweh made other races. It means that we're being told why the entity was called a serpent, because the serpent was the most subtle of the creatures Yahweh had made. Adam named those creatures. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, has God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall surely not die, for God does not know, for God does know that in the, in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This is the... Um, the deception of the serpent that doing that act does not lead to death. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves Aprons. Everybody that I know of in, in two seed line Christian identity accepts this as a description of a sexual transgression that Eve had sex with the serpent, and that's when Cain was conceived, and Adam accepted Eve and had sexual relationships with her, and that's when Abel was conceived. That 
accepting of Eve and the conception of Abel is what caused Adam's fall. He accepted a woman that he could have rejected right there. But it is, it, it is absolutely obvious that once he accepted her, he was stuck with her. Just like the man who would take a woman from her father's house and find that she wasn't a virgin and keep his mouth shut. He accepts her. He's stuck with her. That he has no further recourse. Well, here we have Adam accepting Eve and participating with her when he should have rejected her immediately. If he'd have rejected her immediately, he wouldn't be stuck with her. Of course, Yahweh foresaw that he wouldn't. But we wouldn't be in this quandary today if Adam rejected Eve immediately. And Yahweh called unto Adam and said unto him, I'm skipping to um, verse 9, and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Adam's nakedness is representative of his sexual guilt. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. He blames it on the woman right away. But it's too late. He's accepted this woman. And he did eat. And Yahweh God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And Yahweh God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. The conception that already occurred, we read about it again in Genesis 4, verse 1. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. There you have it. Yahweh is telling Eve, who was married first to the serpent, that her desire would be to her husband. The serpent deceived Eve, but Yahweh wouldn't let it spoil his plans. Eve's desire would be to her husband. Today we have a couple of hundred million Eves, and none of them are virgins. <laughs> when a man and a woman come to the realization of the truth, even though, even though their relationship began in sin, should they stop the relationship? Should they cut off the relationship, or should they continue to have children, I would hope? I would hope they continue to have children, and I think 
even though I've been slandered for that position, I think that I'm right, because that's exactly what Yahweh did here. That's the exact same thing that God did here. Not only that, but they continued to have a sexual relationship. Eve's desire was to be to her husband, and their sexual relationship would continue, and Seth was born, and Yahweh's chosen line came down through Seth. Genesis 5.1, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 4.25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, she said, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Eve lost her virginity to the serpent. She was deceived. Adam accepted her, and he was stuck with her. Today we have millions of Eves and millions of Adams. And today, everybody's deceived. In fact... The entire world lives under, lies under the power of the evil one. The devil has gone out and deceived all the nations. That's the time we are in right now. It, it, it's, I find it incredible that people in Christian identity want to come to the realization of the importance of the law. And instead of humbling themselves before God, they want to use that realization to rule over their brethren. That's Phariseeism. If you come to the realization of the truth, and you've had relations with this woman, and you've had them for however long, and perhaps you've had children, you don't have to stop your relationship with this woman. You... Ask for the forgiveness of Christ for your sins, and it will be granted. You repent and recognize that you've committed sin and error, and you do better to raise your children righteously. The modern-day Pharisees, who should be ashamed of themselves for judging me and not judging God himself after the same manner which they judge me, because God put his stamp of approval on Eve's continued desire for her husband, on Adam and Eve's continued sexual relationship, and on their bearing not only of Seth, but in Genesis 5.2 it says, I'm sorry, in Genesis 5.3 it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. And in Genesis 5, verse 4, it says, And the days of Adam after he begot Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So it wasn't merely to replace Abel that they continued to have sex. They continued their sexual relationship throughout their lives and begat sons and daughters. If you're found with a woman and you come to the truth of Christian identity and you come to the realization 
that we should follow the law as an ideal. You don't have to break off your relationship with your wife. You continue your relationship with your wife, and you raise your daughters up in the truth and with an understanding of the law that you didn't have because you too were deceived by the devil. As Revelation 20 tells us, all the nations are received by Satan, deceived by Satan at this very time. You don't have an obligation to break off your sexual relationship with a woman that you've been accepting for how long? The man who would force you to do that or tell you you have to do that or you'll be damned, he's a Pharisee. He should be ashamed of himself for not holding Yahweh to that same standard in, in, in Genesis chapters 3 through 5. I didn't have this argument a couple of weeks ago when I talked about it in Pennsylvania. I knew it intuitively that I was right. Genesis 3 through 5 proves that I cannot be slandered and blasphemed and called a hireling in the, in, in the manner in which some turkeys have done that. They think they, know, they, they think they know their Bible, and they really don't know it at all. They don't know it at all because they simply don't understand the forgiveness half of the equation. These same people that want to slander me for my position on marriage, they also want to throw Israelites into the lake of fire. They don't understand that Isaiah said that all the seed of Israel shall be justified. And that Paul said that all Israel shall be saved. Both men are basically saying the same thing. Or I should say God is saying basically the same thing through both men. Yahshua Christ, as I said on Friday, Yahshua Christ is recorded in, in three Gospels as having said that every manner of sin shall be forgiven men except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Every sin shall be forgiven men. Once you have accepted a woman as your wife, she's your wife. If she wasn't a virgin, well, you've already accepted her. So you better treat her as your wife. And there is not sin, continual sin, There is not continual sin in continued sexual relations. Otherwise, we must imagine that Yahweh himself approved of that with Adam and Eve. And we see in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5 that they did indeed have continued sexual relations. But the serpent had Eve's virginity. And even if the serpent, even if Adam and Eve did have a sexual relation before the serpent had sex with Eve. Even if that did happen, we still have the abomination of Adam accepting Eve back, which we see in, Genesis, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And, and the violation of the law is just as great. So the modern-day Pharisees are simply wrong, and they need to repent for judging me 
to a higher standard than they would judge God himself. I suggest that they read Genesis chapters 3 through 5 very carefully. And they're left with three choices. Repent from slandering me, or offer that same slander to God and see what he does with it. Or just deny that Eve ever had sex with the serpent. And that way, they could continue to slander me, and, and then they could run along back to their Judeo-Christian churches because they don't belong in 2C by an identity in the first place. And that's you, Jeffrey Westover. And that's you, Malfi Patricia. You better go read your scripture again. Because Matthew 7.2 says that with the judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. If you find the truth out, and you're in a relationship you thought was legitimate, but is not legitimate under the Hebrew law, stay in the relationship. Stay in the relationship because you've already accepted that woman. Have children. Raise them up correctly. Each in that which he has been called, brethren, in that he must remain before Yahweh. Adam was found, having accepted Eve, from the hands of the serpent. And Adam was forced to stay with Eve and have children with her. Thy desire shall be to thy husband. James 4, verses 11 and 12. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judges the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Yes, Paul explains that we have to take unrepentant wrongdoers and put them out of our community. There's no doubt we should do that because they're hurting us. They're harming our community. They're molesting our children. They're going around seducing other men's wives. For whatever reason... You have to take unrepentant sinners and put them out of the community. But we don't judge those among us, as Paul says in that very same chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is chapter 5. We put sinners out of the community and pray that Yahweh judges those who are no longer among us. Christianity is a wonderful religion. It's never been practiced. If you make yourself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake, that's fine, that's your choice, and that is good. But don't try to force that standard on your brother, and don't brag about it before men. If you brag about it before men, you already have your reward. Okay, that's the end of my um, presentation. I probably didn't talk about half of the things that I thought about talking about over the past week since I've known I was going to have to address this issue at this point. But that's okay. I'm since, I sincerely believe that I've proven my point. This is an open forum. If anybody 
would like to discuss anything, including this topic, of course, feel free to do so, and we can discuss it. One point that I didn't make that I thought about making that I might go into next week, and that is this. The law that we are not going to be judged by should be our ideal. Paul goes to great lengths explaining that very thing in, in Romans chapters 2 through 7. We are not going to be judged by the law because we are all guilty under the law. But Yahweh will save all of Israel. We will all be forgiven. And that is the paradox that Paul has a great trouble explaining in those chapters of Romans, where he says that we should seek to establish the law in spite of the fact that we're not going to be judged by it. We should try to prove ourselves worthy children of our Father. But if we start judging each other by the law, we become Pharisees. We seek to rule over each other. Paul told the Corinthians he would not rule over their faith. We seek to rule over each other, and we seek to eliminate each other for purposes of fleshly rivalry. While we're all guilty, as James says, he who has violated one point of the law, although he's kept the whole law, is still guilty of the whole law. And John, the apostle, says, he who claims to be without sin makes God a liar. God's not a liar. Don't claim to be without sin. You can't judge your brother, especially for a sin that you have committed. And if you admit to being a, an adulterer, don't dare put your head in your brother's bedroom and tell him he's an adulterer. Not unless you, you have the, the physical proof. Not unless you know that the woman he's sleeping with was... was what was Harry down the street's wife last week? No. You can't do that because it makes you a Pharisee. I wouldn't do that. Hello, Robert. Well, hello, Bill. How you doing? Okay. What's going on? You have any thoughts? Uh, no, I think you you summed it up pretty good. I, I you didn't I, last time we we argued about this. You didn't have a real good argument for it. But I, I listened to I listen I, I re-listened to that one that uh, Jeff I guess Jeffrey and Patricia did, and uh, it's it's a lot of nonsense. But I I, I, I I figured that anyhow since pretty much anything that Patricia says I I kind of just take with a grain of salt and throw it out. I, I would never listen to her anyhow. Well, well, she's an ex-evangelical missionary, and she's really still an evangelical missionary. Well, she's a typical feminist. I mean, she's, yes. exactly, she's exactly what I would have ex expect from her, and I don't think she's ever going to change. I, I don't think it's possible. So, Anyhow, I, I still, I guess the one point I would, I would add to this is if you do know the difference. I mean, a lot of people, most people get into these situations because they had no clue. 
Well, well, right. The whole world's to right. That's the point I made. And, and there's a difference. Yeah, there's a difference with what Adam did there. I mean, he fully knew what the heck he was doing. Um, and I think today, too, I mean, you have an opportunity to do what Adam didn't do and do the right thing instead of just accepting anyone. Well, well, right. Once you know the law, if you're not sound with the wife, how could you just pick up anybody off the street and call her your wife? Well, I mean, you could technically do that. I don't think it's a good idea. Well, no, it's not a good idea. I couldn't do it because I feel that I would be a hypocrite. Because I know the law at this point in my life, and, 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 and I know the will of God, and, and I can't do it. I can't violate his will on purpose. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to even say that I won't do it. I just know that I can't do it. I, I don't want to say I won't do it because I don't want to have that a arrogant pride that, you know, oh, I know I'll never do that, and, and then two weeks later you find yourself drunk and in bed with some, some whore down the road. And, and um, yeah, right. And, and that's arrogance leads to trial, right? But, but I, I would humbly state that I know that I should never get involved in a situation with a woman who's not a virgin or a legitimate widow. And, and that's the, a, a cross I have to bear. Um, the same way. Well, well, right. I would, I, I would be this. I would say the same thing too. I mean, I, I can. I can still foresee that. There might be a predicament I could get myself into, so I don't want to say that it can't happen. Well, well, yeah, right. It's vain to say it can't happen. You're only looking for trouble. It's like challenging God. But, but, um, yeah, it's we know that it's not fitting that it happens. What we have, it's something that we should avoid. Yeah, if the ocean thing showed up, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, yeah, right. As as long as the um the, the blood pressure is regulated and the circulation works, you could get yourself in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> There's no well, I'm, all about, I'm all about spreading the love now, though, instead of hating it, you know, as my avatar has it. Hello, Matt. Hey, Hello, man. Matt. Hey, everybody. Hello. What's going on? What 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 can um? What do you have to say? Um, I think uh, also. Uh, a point to bring up that would be pretty much in support of the this marriage argument, so to speak, is um, the the conception of uh, of Jesus and um, and how Joseph kept Mary uh, and kept having a relationship with him. That's exactly the same. It, it's yeah, you know. Every, I'm sorry to cut you off, Matt. Everything Yahweh did with his relationship with Mary was exactly the same as Satan did with Eve. It, it mirrors it. It's a perfect story what, where it absolutely reverses all the, the damage that was done because God was going to come here as a man and, and die. And you're right. And I thought about the relationship with Joseph and Mary, and Yahweh had Mary's virginity. The two became one flesh in Christ, right? Right, and and keep in mind, you know how many how many of us even today would, um, you know, if we were in a similar situation, actually have enough faith to believe that, you know, your supposedly virgin wife uh, is now knocked up, and you know it's not you. 
Well, well right, and, and you told the keeper, right? <laughs> by, his, by an angel, by a vision. That he had to have an incredible amount of faith to affect that, right? And again, Yahweh permitted him to have subsequent children with Mary, and, and those children became the, the brothers of the Lord, right? The brothers of Christ, and they all became apostles. apostles. Right. James and Jude. James the Elder and the Apostle Jude are, are the brothers of Christ. They're not mentioned in the original twelve, you know. They're not amongst the twelve apostles. The James, that's the, the James that's mentioned amongst the twelve apostles is not the James who's the writer of the epistle. The James who's the writer of the James who's mentioned among the twelve apostles died. I think it's in Acts chapter twelve or, or thirteen. He was killed by Herod. The James who's the writer of the epistle is a brother of Christ, a half brother. Right? There's no term in Greek for half brother. He's the brother of Christ. And, and that had to be by Joseph. So, right, that's, a, that, that's a, another good point to raise. That there were, I could have raised that point. I could have raised a lot of points. And I decided not to because I wanted to keep it simple. And, and it all boils down to what they are slandering me for is exactly what Yahweh gave his approval to in Genesis chapters 3 through 5. So how do they get off judging me? Right, right. And, and they're just... Well, well first, they, they want to judge over, over a man's relationship with his wife. You, you know, when... when um. I I really don't want to use you for an example, Matt. But when, when I met you, I, I I never questioned that Cheryl was your wife. Yeah, you've accepted her, and 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 and, and that's the way it is. And who am I to question it? It's it's not mine to question. And and that's all of us are in that predicament. Well, it just and it seems pretty ludicrous to me to even suggest that. Um, you know, you're supposed to go to your 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 first and or, or whatever this and I guess this was uh, Mr. Westover who suggested this, huh? I think it was Kersey. That 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 has been telling people that, but but he did suggest that, yes. That you you're to find your first lover and, and that's your um and, and that's your wife. Or your first husband, your your first well, or your husband, depending on whether or not you're a male or a female, right? And, and that's just crazy because you 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 know that they've had sex with other people, they've had a sexual relationship with other people. Uh, I mean, I that that first girl, De Debbie Schnagel, she was a tall blonde German girl. I, I wish she was my wife. But we just didn't. It didn't work out, right? And and um and and. <laughs> I, I know that I, I can't go back to her. She's probably had 50 guys since me, right? <laughs> that, that's you, you're going to break one law trying to hold uphold another law? That that doesn't work. Well, it also defeats the purpose of admitting that you're a sinner, admitting to your mistakes, and and moving on. 
How much yes. did I get out, Bill, before I got lost? Oh, not much. We were only talking about, um, what we were only bantering about our past relationships. Oh, did you get me, did you, did you listen to my thing about the spirit or what? Or no, I didn't. Oh, no, that's right. gone. Because somehow I got completely dropped off the server. I don't know why. Well, well, well repeat was, it. Yeah, my point was that, um, that during that, uh, that program that I listened to again, uh, with Patricia on it and Jeffrey, they were accusing you of not having the spirit of the law, but rather the opposite. You have knowledge of the Bible. And I thought that was ironic because they're the ones that are being the Pharisees rather than you. Well, well right, absolutely. That, that's a, um, they're, they're basically making an ad hominem attack, right? It can't be proven one way or another. That, that's a, don't, you think, don't you think it's a, a bit bizarre? Because they're really being Pharisees about this. Well, well absolutely. They're absolutely being the Pharisees. And, 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 and Westover has gone so far as to brag about his lack of a sexual relationship with his wife. I think he's probably tortured the poor girl by, by refusing to have sex with her. I, I think that he probably could have had two kids in that period. Well, and, and, that's the point I brought up when you were here. It seemed like <laughs> if, you, if everyone went along with um, what they're claiming, we wouldn't have any more white children today. It would just be... Uh, right, we certainly wouldn't have. We'd be down to a remnant of eight. If everybody went, came to the message tomorrow and, and, and obeyed Jeffrey Westover, we'd be down to a remnant of eight in two or three years, right? And as soon as this generation died out or whatever, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous. I don't remember them advocating going back to your first lover or whatever. Was that well? Well, that's a side issue that 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 they've advocated that that some of them have advocated, and, and I I wanted to nip that in the bud by by repeating the law in Deuteronomy on divorce and how you cannot take back a woman that you put away and and who's had other other lovers. Yeah, you, know, you can't take her back under the law either. I actually went to uh, a preacher because he was remarrying re a, uh, a couple, and I said, that's completely against the Old Testament law. What in the hell are you doing? Well, well Westover goes as so far as to... Um Westover goes so far as to claim that adulterers, and he did this on a tape, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That no one who's ever committed adultery can get to heaven. And, and he's even misquoting Paul there. Because Paul goes, you know, Paul makes this statement that robbers, murderers, adulterers, fornicators, so on and so forth, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean that anybody that, who's committed one of those sins won't go to heaven. It doesn't mean that because in the next line, Paul says, and some of these things some of you were, but you have cleansed yourselves. And that, Westover doesn't read that line. He doesn't read that line. If you've cleansed yourself, and then Paul says, and now you've been sanctified, how have you cleansed yourself? You've cleansed yourself in the blood of Christ, in the blood of the Lamb, which washes away our sins, right? That's how you cleanse yourself, by accepting the sacrifice that Christ has made on behalf of you. And Westover just has, he's the one without the spirit. He claims to have read the Bible, and, and he, he doesn't see his own Phariseeism. He, he, he lives by the letter of the law all of a sudden, 
And, and just because he claims to know the letter of the law, he wants to rule over everybody else now and, and call me a hireling? He's a turkey. He, he's a straight idiot. The Bible is, is glaringly telling him no. He says that adulterers won't get to heaven, and, and the Scripture screams that every sin of men will be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and Westover says, oh no, Jesus, you're wrong. And Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. And Jeffrey Westover says, oh no, Paul, you're wrong. And Jeffrey Westover says, you know, Isaiah says that all the seed of Israel, all the offspring of Israel will be just justified. And Jeffrey Westover says, oh no, Isaiah, you're wrong. This man's a clown. He's a Bible clown. He proved that on that tape also. And I hate to get to the name calling thing, but he deserves it. He said on that program on June 2nd that Dinah married herself to the Canaanite, and that's a lie. It's a straight lie in Scripture. The Canaanite took her. And he says, oh, Dinah loved him. And, and it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. She married herself to him. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Jeffrey Westover just made up a story about Dinah, and that's how he reads his Bible. And then he has the nerve to, to criticize me. And, and I'm going to post a link to Westover and, and Kersey to their program. The program that I addressed tonight, I'm going to post a link to it on the podcast. I'm going to put it on my own web space so that people can listen to it. And Malfi Patricia. And, and I got something I didn't address during the program, and I'm going to do it now. In this program, Malfi Patricia, that's my name for her now, right? Malfi Patricia, I think that's a good epithet, Malfi Patricia. It, it only changes a letter. But this, or two. But this um, Malfi Patricia, she's, and you might recall this, Bob, she said on this program that I would rather be king of a small village than second in command of Rome. Is that what she said? That, that's the way I remember it. And yeah, then, I, I just, that was, didn't stick in my head that, 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 that point. But yeah, yeah, well, that's what she said because I got it written down. Uh, I'm only kind of half kidding that I, um, I don't remember it. Well, well first, I don't want to be the king of anything. I, I, don't, I, I forsake titles. I reject titles. I don't like it when people call me pastor. I, I really don't. I, I mean, I don't beat them over the head, but I'd rather be just Bill, right? And we're all equals, and we have one king, and we have one teacher, and we have one master, and that's Christ, period. Well, well Patricia really pulled her pants down and bared her ass when she made that statement. And this is why. Rome fell because of race mixing. I split with Eli because Eli just can't get the race issue straight. That's the primary issue that we have facing us. That's the biggest danger we have facing us today. Yes, everything else is important, but the race issue is primary. And Patricia just don't get it. I don't want anything to do with Rome. And I'm sure she's happy being a citizen of Rome. And, and she really bared her soul when, when she made that statement.
Yeah, I agree with you, Bill. I mean, pretty much everything else is repairable, but the race issue is just absolutely not repairable. And that's why that's the unforgivable sin. Blasphemy yeah. of the Holy Spirit is, is, is the promotion of, of miscegenation. But the, but the other thing, too, I mean, I don't think that a bunch of men should be uh, catering to some female on a program or even catering her, her doctrine. I think it's silly. Well, well, I, I think it's okay when a female has something to offer on a program, but they should never be allowed to um, to, to rule over or presume to be correcting men. That that's a clear violation of scripture, and and that they shouldn't be allowed to slander others on a program. And, and well, Percy, that was part of my point. I mean, from the beginning of this thing, she's taking this position of um, of uh, divide and attacking you. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous. She wants to attack anybody. She should stick to her female colleagues. Well, well, right. That's probably true. In fact, it is true. Okay, we have to have some feedback here. I think Mike has a few things to say. I thought Jeremiah had something to say, but he won't talk. Hello, Mike. I, I do have something. Uh, all right, Mike, let, let Jeremiah go. What's up, Jeremiah? Uh, one thing that came up was uh, when you were talking about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. Now, I always assume the actual blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when you conceive a hybrid child because you kill the Holy Spirit um, at that point. Well, well, what you're doing is you can kill, you're killing the race, right? But but I see blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as promote the promotion, the advocation of race mixing. That's the way I see it. And, and I explained that on Friday's program. Oh, okay. Well, th that's about it for, for now, if uh, Mike had something to say. Okay. Mike, how you doing? Congratulations on um, having number four on the way there. Oh, thank you, thank you. I was just trying to save the white race one baby at a time over here. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I th I think that's great. There should be there should be more people with that attitude, right? Hey, it's hard work, but somebody's got to do it. I got to be <laughs> make these babies. Well, that's that, that's um wonderful. I I I pray for you, Mike. Uh, I pray for your wife, mortal. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she's taking another girl, be fine. It really don't matter. We got two boys and a girl now, so we got, you know, got the two older brothers and, and the youngest being a sister, so she gets in trouble. She got older brothers, so it doesn't really matter at this point if we have a girl or a boy. I mean, it didn't matter before either, really, but. So it's just must have magical the way it came out. Well, well, my first one was a girl, and then I had five boys. I couldn't stop having boys. My, my <laughs> wife, my, my wife was pissed too. <laughs> okay, we got to have something else tonight. It's only been an hour and a half. Uh, I thought I was going to talk for at least two hours. Uh, I didn't want to stretch things out. Uh, I wanted to get to the point.
Well, it seemed like there was uh, one topic of discussion in the chat room, I guess, concerning uh, um, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Well, well, yes, and, and I think I might do that on a separate program and go through Romans. I, I thought about handling that tonight in, in more depth. It, it's um, I, I, Friday's program touched on that to a great extent, right? Because the Pharisees, Christ upgraded upgraded the Pharisees several times in um in Matthew chapter twelve where they their pharisaical insistence on keeping the letter of the law would actually cause harm to people. Like David and his men being on a run and not being able to eat, or, or um, the man in the well that I brought up tonight, that, that um, the Pharisees would leave him in the well for the weekend, you know, and we'll see you Monday or we'll see you Sunday or whatever. And, and um, you'll just have to stay there for the next 24 hours. That's just crazy. And it shows that the law, Yahweh gave us this law, and, and every law, even if God makes it, has limitations. If God made a perfect law that would suit every occasion, I'm sure it would be 100,000 pages, right? I mean, it would just be huge. Man would never be able to master it. The law he gave us was as Paul says, for our tutor. We are to look at the law as an ideal, but its letter is not going to meet every situation at every time. It's just not going to do that. Like Christ and, and his explanation that a man should pull an ass or another man out of a well when it falls down a well or, in, or, or down a ditch on the Sabbath. Well, isn't that working on the Sabbath? And, and like I explained Friday, don't the priests work on the Sabbath to process the sacrifices which are necessary to process on the Sabbath? Of course they do. So technically, they violate the Sabbath. So, so the law can never be perfect for every at every occasion. It just can't be. There are going to have to be times when you lay aside the letter of the law in order to do good. If, if you put your wife away because she wasn't a virgin, and, and you've been having a relationship with her for six years, and you have two kids, and then you say, sweetheart, we're not going to have sex anymore. You're doing her more damage, I believe. Psychologically, you may, you may not realize it, but you're doing her more damage. And, and then you stop having children. Well, when you could have more children. Well, which is what sex is for, right? I'm not talking about gratuitous sex. So, so are, are you doing well by that? Aren't you being a hypocrite? Aren't you breaking your first vow? You're breaking your first vow. You committed yourself to this woman. Whether it was righteous or not, you committed yourself to this woman and you accepted this woman. Well, Adam ate too. His wife gave him of the fruit and Adam ate too. Adam committed himself to that woman. Even if that commitment was made in sin, Adam finished his life with that woman and had many more children by her. That's the example 
God sets right at the first chapters of the Bible. Is God wrong? Well, I think many of the, the times that um, Yahshua is recorded in the Gospels where the Pharisees approach him on certain things that he was doing and I guess had essentially had even thought to uh, stone him or kill him for various uh, infringements of the law that they would consider he was doing. I think he was basically, you know, setting up prime examples of, you know, I wouldn't say skirting the letter of the law, but showing how, um, you know, certain actions uh, fall within these laws and how, you know, and how they should be judged accordingly. Well, well, right, and 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 um, that that's why in the book of Hosea and and Yahweh tells us to seek out His will in the law, and, and that means to to inquire into those first five books of the Bible, find out why things are like they are, and and, and find that this law isn't perfect for every situation, but it's the law that he decided to give the children of Israel, and he knew that they weren't going to keep it. He knew that they weren't going to keep it because he knew that we cannot save ourselves, no matter the law, that no matter... The, the um, restrictions, when men have free will, we have to accept that men are going to sin. But if I accept that you are going to sin, or if I accept that I'm going to sin, I have to accept also that you're going to sin, and I have to forgive you when you sin. That, that's part of the lesson we have to learn here. That's why Christ quoted Hosea and said, from the mouth of God, it's mercy I seek and not sacrifice. And talked about peering into that, what is the perfect will of Yahweh, is what Hosea talks about. And, and it's mercy he seeks and not sacrifice. I'm to be merciful in my judgment of you, because I also am a fallible man. And I'm never going to put my head in your bedroom and tell you what you can and cannot do with that woman. That, uh, that's totally out of place. That's not showing mercy at all. That's just getting in your business and trying to rule over you. And that's Jeffrey Westover. What, what, oh, Westover. Uh, I'm being a smart ass, but I, I think he deserves it. He has no mercy in his theology. There's no mercy in his theology because he wants to cast Israelites into the lake of fire because he is a self-righteous son of a bitch. He's a self-righteous man, period. He thinks he could save himself. So he hasn't had sex with his wife in how many years? Because he thinks that's the right thing to do, and he can save himself. Well, Jeffrey, you can't save yourself. Come out of your self-righteousness. None of us can save ourselves. That's the story of Scripture. If, if Yahweh had no forgiveness, we'd all be dead, and we'd all deserve it, under the law. If we were going to be judged by the law, we would all be dead.
That's why Yahweh came and died, to release us from the law. Well, he is pretty proud of himself, though. Yeah, he is proud of himself. But but you know something? Because he's bragged about it, he's already had his reward. That's what I think is funny. And, and he doesn't understand that because he hasn't read the whole Bible, or he claims to, but he, but he, he may have read the words, but he don't understand what he read. I don't know if he's getting a reward by abstaining from sex. seems to me it's kind of the opposite. Well, well, exactly, that too. He he probably should have had some children instead of worried about being um, damned to hell forever. Yeah, I only have to worry about these issues if the twins show up. <laughs> Hello, Aaron. Hello, Bill. Hello, How brother. I'm doing good. Um, I just caught the last 20 minutes of the show, unfortunately. But um, while I was listening, I, I quickly typed up a few things on the topic I'd like to share. Be my guest. Um, what I have is uh, marriage is the best typology given to us that foreshadows the merciful relationship between Israel and Yahweh. Adam took Eve, who was a fornicator, and Yahweh still chose to bless their union to such a degree that he prophesied their seed would bring forth Christ, who would ultimately redeem all of Israel. Well, which shows that we could come out of our sin and, and still have life in front of us, right? Right. In, in this flesh. Right. And, and Paul, through the inspiration of Yahweh, commanded us men to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Would this not be referring to showing mercy to your wife of her shortcomings, just as Christ has done for his adulterating bride, Israel? And, and, and we are talking of a bride that was, always, all, that was already betrothed to Yahweh. And here, someone wants to condemn a woman who performed fornication prior to being betrothed or married? That's just absurd. To put away your wife for fornication is like Christ putting away Israel for their fornication. Who are we to put ourselves above Yahweh? This is, this is why Yahweh hates divorce. Apparently someone is not grasping one of the best concepts of the Bible. Well, well right. And, it, and if a girl has sex when she's 14, that's unfortunate. But I don't think that she had the... Um, I don't think that she had the maturity to decide whether or not she should have sex at that age. It, she doesn't have the ability to decide whether or not she should have sex. Yeah, I was, and, I was, read, I was reading one of our uh, early church quote fathers, you know, writings, um, you know, not too long after the death of Christ. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I was just flipping through. And uh, they were talking. They were talking. I think it was Tertullian was talking about how um, it's considered fornication for a man to take a girl not at the age to be married. Right. Because it's and I'm sure that sex. was fornication against the man, not not the girl. Of course, she's too young. 
Right, and, and that's the, the Greeks, yeah, you know, the way Paul talked to the Corinthians, and I, I didn't get into it as deeply as I probably should have, even in this program, the way Paul talked about it to the Corinthians, he was talking to them by moral standards that they already held. And, and I kind of showed that from the tragic poet that I quoted about marriage being in a bed. But, but um, the, the Greeks also... The, while they didn't have the standard that a divorced woman couldn't get remarried, I, I don't see that in ancient Greece. Uh, I, divorced women often got remarried. What, with, and, and that's the children of Israel in the dispersion, and they already had the law of divorce, right? But, but they did have the standard that a proper marriage happened with a virgin and, and that a, um, or, or a widow, and, and that marriage happened in a bed. And, and not at an altar as the church and, and the state later perverted it. Right. Well, I'll just finish up with the rest of what I had here. And it was basically, you know, Yahweh bestows mercy on those who gives mercy. So we should walk in fear and trembling with this kind of concept. This guy, this joker's thrown about, you know. One's, and, and, and I think he suffers from this. You know, one's misplaced zeal and trying too hard to try to please Yahweh can wind up can wind up forgetting the importance of mercy and grace. We're called to show to our brethren. We should we should run from that kind of legalism. Well, well, absolutely. No. And I think all those points are on target, Aaron. No. We we should absolutely run from that kind of legalism. Yeah, we got to remember. You know, to the least of these, you do it unto me. It's it's mercy, like you said. It's mercy that Yahweh seeks. Period. Well, right, and and that's why I, I don't know if you caught it or not. I explained that if a man show, if one of the men here show up with a wife next week, I'm not going to get into his bedroom and say, "Was she a virgin, or is she a widow?" I don't care. As long as I know she wasn't your wife last week, then I don't have a problem. I, I, there's nothing I could say. Yeah, you took her. You know how she is, and you better take care of her. Right. But if a man shows up with a different wife every week, now we have a problem, and that man has to go. Right. Well, that's all I had pretty much on that topic. Wow, that's good, Aaron. That, that was our target. And, and you write about um, the, the Phariseeism, the legalism. Well, that actually brings up a couple issues. What's that, Robert? Well, um, one of them would be, you know, when you're talking about not bringing up... Uh, anything with someone who shows up with a wife, but I mean, it, 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 that was the issue that I was talking about, being hypocritical. I mean, if someone is bar hopping all the time and then they expect to just pick a pluck a virgin up after they've suddenly become CI, I, I think that's somewhat... Well, well, right. They sure as hell don't deserve a virgin, right? No, I, and I, I, I would question whether that would be really a an approved thing with Yahweh. I, I don't know. I'd had that, that, that's an, a, 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 one of those things that would be in a gray area. Well, well with this hypocrisy, and, and let's look real quick. Let, let's look real quick at this. And this goes back to what I said about Adam accepting Eve, and, and from that point on, he had to be committed to her, right? Judah married a Canaanite. He willfully took a Canaanite to himself. And he had three children with those that Canaanite. And Yahweh, and this goes hand in hand with what Aaron said about the, you know, the, the um, Yahweh's love for us and, and 
and, and his respect for, for marriage and, and because of his respect for us, for, for Israel, his love for Israel. Well, well um, Judah took his Canaanite wife. And, and eventually he had to bring her home to his kinsmen. I, I mean, he went to Egypt with his brethren and his Canaanite son. And, and of course, none of the children of the Canaanite woman were legitimate to carry on the line of Judah. So how did Yahweh save the tribe of Judah? By having Tamar pose as a whore. Judah yeah. thought he was going to bed with a whore. And it was really his daughter-in-law that he never gave to Shoah, right? And, and Tamar was only getting what she expected. She expected children from Judah's family. She worked out a way to get what she had coming. Because to a woman in the ancient world, children were very important. It was very important for a, children to have women, to, for a woman to have children so that they would have somebody to look out for them in their old age. Well, I think it's going to get back that way again eventually. Well, well, yeah, right, it should, because that's the natural way a family should be. But Judah, the tribe of Judah was safe through whoredom. Now, this brings up another point that uh, disturbs me greatly and has for probably a good 20 years now, is the family is so disconnected today, and they're so Jewish, um, and I mean that in a bad way, that they don't protect their children. They don't protect their girls, specifically. And these girls are basically whoring around from junior high on. Right. The, the Jew is liberated to women. That, that means daughters are liberated from their, their parents and, and their brothers. That's exactly true. It's not improving, either. I mean, every, every time I go out at a family event, I can see that it's a huge, it's still a huge issue, and it... Every time I walk my dog through the park in town, I see it. And it just makes me sick. I see these little 14, 15-year-old girls off with mansers and, 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 and just floating around with everybody. Yeah, yeah I remember whenever uh, the, the uh, whole Playboy Bunny t-shirts for the girls started becoming real popular. It was sickening. I couldn't believe that was actually becoming a popular thing for little girls to be wearing. Well, well, I was in um, I was in Bayonne Park in 1996, a few months before I went to prison, and I was walking with my wife, and I saw a 16-year-old girl, maybe a 15-year-old girl, right? And she had a shirt on that said, Do Me, in big, bold letters. And I said to my wife, I said, Look at that. That's incredible. And you know what kind that attracts, and it's not usually the white race, now is it? Well, well right. And the shame is, like, Bob has brought this up to me in person, and he's right about it. It is that our girls are, are maturing sexually by the time they're 13 and 14, but our boys aren't. But the little nigger and, and Spanish boys, they have hard-ons at 12, and they're just waiting for a white girl. And our boys aren't sexually mature and interested in girls until they're 15 or 16 as a rule. So, so basically, for two or three years, the average white teenage girl has nothing but Negroes chasing after her, right? Because the white yeah, boys and, aren't. Yeah, and look at the fathers. They're teaching their boys to do all that. They're teaching yeah. them to lust after the girls and go run after them. It, it's sickening. It, it's, we're in a sad state. Yeah, my boys don't stand a chance hardly on getting a good, pure woman, you know? It's sad. Right. Hey, Bill, can I mention something here about my family relationship? 
Sure. It's an open forum. You're invited. I mean, this is just my experience with my sisters, older and younger. I mean, there, there's not much age difference between us, but uh, I was uh, I was repulsed by their their alienation from our family. Uh, not not just them. I mean, the, the whole family screwed up, in, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, they were so uh, there was no real brother sister relationship between me and them that uh, I just really didn't give a damn after a while, and uh, they just did whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah, it's hard not to give a damn about them, and, and, and it just bothers you. It bothers me. I mean, they don't care about themselves, but I um, I really get my, my guts in a knot when I, I see stuff like that. And, and it's hard not to want to act on it, but you can't because you're going right to prison. I mean, but there's no sense in doing it. They're the ones that will report you. Well, I had a number of kids that I had an ability to influence, and the only one that I had an, an, enough effect on was the one that I was living with. And that's pretty much it. So it is possible to, 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 uh, to do something, but, you know, you've got to have someone who's willing to listen to you. Well, well, right. You could do things on a small scale, but, but um, yeah, you can, it's hard to influence these kids today. They don't want to know anything. They, they really don't. They know everything. They think they know everything because they watched MTV or BET or whatever. I want to watch Wet. Yeah, right. Yeah, today, uh, today just today, I saw a... Um, uh, a father with his young son and a young daughter who was a bit older than the son, and she was carrying a purse which with a Playboy bunny on it. Yeah, that's the the message that sends, and and they don't get it. They're 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 letting their children exhibit that message and that thought, and and they don't understand that that message will really have an impact on their physical lives. I got a good quote that I uh, just recently looked up here. Um, it goes back to 250 A.D. by early Christian by the name of Stipend. Take it, that's how you pronounce it. It says, marriage is not to be contracted with Gentiles. In to Tobias, and then he quotes some here. It says, it's from Tobias 4.12. It says, take a wife from the seed of your parents. Do not take a strange woman who is not of the tribe of your parents, end quote. That's crazy. And it says, also in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, quote, if he dies, she is free to marry whom she will, only to the Lord, end quote. Also in the second letter to the Corinthians, quote, do not be joined together with unbelievers, end quote. Anyways. I just thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, <laughs> we're talking talk about a, a contrast from, you know, what we were just talking about where we've ended up here in our society that we're stuck in, you know, where anything goes. I mean, look at what the early Christians believed. Well, well right. That's the whole world is deceived by the devil. But, and there's no doubt. Anything didn't go really 400 years ago. In, in medieval Germany, did anything go? Hell no. They were very moral people, and, and in, in medieval England, did anything go? No. It, it's only since the French Revolution that anything goes, and, and to understand that, all you have to do is read the Communist Manifesto and, and the Protocols. 
Yeah, the Jewish raping of the mind is rampant in our in our time, and and it's sad because and it's because people don't learn their history, you know. Well, they just don't want to hear the Jewish that it, uh, that it uh, it's the Jew that's doing it to them. Well, forget the Jew. I mean. That should be evident, which is a little bit of study, but, I mean, for crying out loud, our people should be respecting their heritage and studying it and learning what their forefathers believed and what the early Christians believed. And like that quote right there would, would solve a lot of our problems here quickly. They just listen to it and obey it. Testimonies, early church fathers, and Tobias, take a wife from the seed of thy parents and take not a strange woman who is not of the tribe of thy parents. I'm going to hold on to that one. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Well, well, these, um, it, it's hard to find things. You, you don't want to search in, in the, um, in, in, I, I have this Rebronix digital library. It's also known as Logos, right? And is voluminous. It, it's just voluminous. And to search for one word without having a phrase or multiple words, it, it'll just turn up ten thousand um, entries. That you, if you if you just turn search for seed alone, you would get in. So you, you'd never go through them all, right? I mean, it's just crazy. There's, there'd be thousands of them. I'm gonna just search for seed. Wow, I'm wrong. I got, I'm seed. I only got a. Oh, that's only in volume in volume five of the anti nicene fathers that gave me 135 occurrences. <laughs> All available resources. Search seed. Searching, searching. Nine eleven seventy two. Oh, twelve fifty seven. It's still growing. Seventeen eighteen hundred. Twenty three hundred. 3,500. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just thousands of, of um, search results just for seed. So, so it's nothing. So, so when I get a whole phrase I could look for, seed plus parents plus wife, that then I only came up with 10 or 12 results, right? That this yeah, is up to 5,700, 5,900. So, so you're never going to just look for seed and try to look for all the good quotes that have to do with seed. <laughs> <laughs> here we yeah. church writers. <laughs> yeah, I understand your problem. Back in the day, I used to work for a Christian bookstore, so I acquired quite a bit of stuff, and one of them being, you know, some pretty good Bible software that, you know, will turn up quite a bit of uh, results. But the, the one book that I use that I really enjoy is um, this one called A Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs, and uh, it's all broken out by topic, so that's pretty cool. Okay. I'm to jump to stuff pretty good. Yeah, see, I was always, I never really accepted using any of those tools but because um, I'm kind of like a, a, a purist and, and I never wanted to be influenced by commentaries and, and, and all of that stuff. So all I really ever read was the scripture and the classics, and that's it. But, but I never really read the early church, you know, the early Christian writers, except for a couple of things from Tertullian. I didn't read any, any of it until I got home. And when I got home, I, I got a hold of um, Lebronics and, and um, 
Thanks for the question. Uh, I got a hold of Lebronics, and, and now I have an updated version from a torrent. Uh, I probably even, shouldn't even talk about that. But, but um, yeah, yeah, I use it a lot, but I only use it for research when I have a topic, right? It's, I don't have time to sit and read from it like I wish I would. And, and where the heck would you start? It, it's, uh, I'd need ten more years in prison to read it. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, right, I know. <laughs> Okay, just seed in Logos pulled up 11,830 occurrences. So, so um, I'm not going to look through seed for all of the good, all of the good references in the early Christian writers, right? <laughs> you really need a phrase to work on, but if you come across anything, that's great. That that quote you had from Tertullian about the wicked race being sprung at, from from. Um, I forget the exact quote. I have to find that, actually, in my email because I want to yeah, use yeah, it. I, I got it right here in front of me, actually. It's, uh, yeah, Tertullian, uh, 197 A.D. By our sacred books, we are instructed how from certain angels who fell from their own free will, there sprang an even more wicked demon brood. Go breed. Angels plus wicked plus. I'm sure that will turn it up, but then I'll be able to copy it and send it over to my other computer. Well, here's one that dates even earlier than that. This is 180 AD by Arrhenius. It says, In the day of Noah, he justly brought on the Delog. Uh, what is it? Delog? Deluge. Yeah, I tell you, there you go. <laughs> For the purpose of extinguishing that most infamous race of men then existent, who could not bring forth fruit to God, for the angels who sinned had commingled with them. Yeah, right. So he's right. Irenaeus has that right then because he wants to exterminate the Adamites because the angels commingled with them. The Adamites, mm -hmm. the flood was to punish our race. The riffing yeah. lives through it. Yeah. yeah, they didn't have... They, they had a lot of stuff wrong, but they had a lot of stuff right. And I think the stuff they had wrong was that, that promise of blindness that Yahweh was going to bring upon Israel. That, that, that's a full dem demonstration of it. I had a nice little conversation with uh, good old Charles H. Roberts, the writer of uh, the book Race Over Grace, that's in opposition to CI. It didn't last very long. It, he was pretty uh, fixed on his his belief. He actually said that he looked into CI originally because he was considering uh, it to be truth, um, but he didn't go into where along the way he decided against it. You know, I guess, I don't know. But he was uh, in seminary at the time, so... <laughs> well, that explains he why he's screwed up. <laughs> right. So he knew that for his, for his master thesis, he actually decided to uh, make it on uh, 
a book or a writing against CI, and then he derived his book derived from that. But yeah, I asked him. I asked him straight out. I said, "Okay, so what? What's the biggest argument you have against CI?" And he was his his first response was the word Adam does not mean to show blood in the face. It means it could mean a, a wide range of things from uh, you know the the red clay in which God used to create Adam and and so the first race was red people. How where did the white people come from? How do you, how did you get that? You know. Well, well, my answer to that would be that first the word Adam is used on several occasions in the Scripture. Uh, and the description in Samuel of David is one of those occasions where, where it's used as an adjective and it was interpreted by the King James translators and just about all other later translators as meaning ruddy. Okay? Second, the word Adam means ruddy because the word Dom, Strong's number 1818, means blood. And Strong didn't even go there in his, in his definition of Adam. He didn't cite 1818, and he should have. Adam means ruddy because Dom means blood. It's very clear that Adam comes from the word Dom, to me, to any linguist that should be perfectly clear. Now, the terms for red related to the word Adam simply came later. But Dom is the root word, and it's blood red. So we have yeah. Adam as ruddy, and then we have other words which also are related to that same concept. But the red yeah. earth is following Adam and not preceding it. Right, right. Words that derive from the root words, one thing, but it's hard right. to argue when you've got the root word. Well, well right. It's stating blood. Right, and Dom is blood. 1818. Yeah, his other argument <clears throat> was even worse. It was, uh, I said, okay, well, what other than that? And he said, well, the simple fact that there's absolutely no solid evidence uh, showing um, historically or archaeologically that the Adamic or the white race, you know, descended from the Israelites. Well, well, there's tons of historical evidence. I know, I know. That blew my mind that he said that. It's like, how can you write a book on it? Granted, it's, what, uh, about 80 pages? You know, it's only 80 pages, but still, you know, you, you're going to write your master thesis for a seminary, which, again, you know, kind of <laughs> explains a few things there as well. But, you know, how can you do that and not, you know, find that evidence? And it wasn't that long ago when he was in seminary, I wouldn't think. He was a young guy, a fairly young guy. So, I mean, either you don't, you either these people are not doing their their study, their proper study, or they're not being honest about it. Sad. Well, well yes, it's, it, it's very sad. That, that's, um... I don't know. He's, he's the seminary says everything. He's brainwashed. It, it's it's a damn shame, but that's the way I see it. There's oh, going to yeah. be no convincing him. You, you know, you could write a successful thesis that there is no moon if you spend all of your life indoors, right? 
and, and be convinced there's no moon. I mean, it's pretty pretty simple. Yeah, you you can say that there's no historical or archaeological archaeological proof of Christian identity if you've never read the classics and never studied archaeology. Oh, trust me, I know how brainwashing those seminaries can be. I spent four years in them. Wow, you <laughs> too. Yeah, you too. Damn, what's up? How, how, there's a lot of ex-Bible school people coming here lately. I, I mean, I think that's good. I, I think it's great, because if you guys could wake up, anybody could wake up. <laughs> right. Yeah, because the brainwashing is, is solid in those places. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you offer, you know, any other outside views? You're instantly shot down and viewed as an outsider. A heretic. And, and you're a heretic. Exactly. Oh. And just that, you know, fear of being labeled as such, you know, will keep any young man silent just about. Yeah, that's that's funny. That, that's incredible, but it's sad. It, it's, um... Uh, I think that's the way all our universities are now. I, I'm glad I never went to one. Yeah. yeah. I know my boys won't be going to one. Yeah, I think the less school you have, as as long as you're self-taught or you know how to read and think, the, the, the less school you have, the better off you might be. Uh, I'm just trying to justify my wasted youth, right? Uh, I should have been reading Greek at 15 and not at 35 in prison, believe me. Well, you were afforded your schooling time nonetheless. Yeah, just 30 years late. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I always thought uh, there was reasons why I never made it to college, and I'm definitely glad that I didn't. And I would like to have gone to college to college for something technical, right? So I could learn how to do something. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't I really don't see a problem with the sciences or or um, mathematics and stuff like that. But it's all the Jew shit and in the um, the liberal arts is horrible and and like the seminaries and 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 yeah, that's all, all of the. Um, the the fuzzy I hate to call them sciences, but the fuzzy sciences that there are no definite answers to, like psychology. There's no definite answer. You could anybody could bullshit their way through that crap. No absolutes. Yeah, yeah, there are no absolutes. It's all mm -hmm. it, it's all um, Talmudism. Uh, I could probably go and and become an, a, a a master of of the sciences and or arts or whatever the hell they give out for psychology. What do they give out for that? It's crazy. <laughs> it don't it don't fit into anything. There's no absolutes. It's not really an art. They claim it's a science. It's all bullshit. Master of BS and and M of BS in, in psychology, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, well if you could actually find a school that uh, you know, just taught technical end or just taught the specific sciences and things of that nature, that would be fine, but they, you know, they have to pile on all that other Jew crap on, you know, on top of it that, you know, just kind of waters down the whole reason you're there in the first place. Right. Well, well the, um, you know, like sociology, criminal justice, psychology, that there's no... Absolutes, like Aaron said, there, there's no definite right and wrong. There's no science to any of that. 
ethnology right. There's all those ologies that these Jews came up with in, in the liberal arts. There's no, it, it's just all Jew BS. There's no other way I could really accurately describe it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the perfect lie from Satan because, you know, back in my early days when I'd be going out trying to witness to people, that was the toughest thing that I was hit up with, you know, with people saying, oh, how do you know? And, yeah, you got your facts, but I've got mine. And, and really, it all just depends on, you know, your own personal understanding and path through life and, and all that New Age crap. Right. Of course, you can sort archaeology isn't bad if it's archaeology. But, but when it becomes um, storytelling mixed with the archaeology and, and they're extrapolating entire societies fr from a from a knee bone of a pig it's what, what was that man that they found out they, they thought they had a skull and they, they, they extrapolated an entire society from what they thought was a piece of jaw yeah and they found out that later it was some animal and, and how many kids in college studied that society and, and imagined what it could have been like and, and then they find out it's an animal bone that they got <laughs> There's nothing wrong with archaeology. There's nothing wrong with archaeology when it, but when it's related to the digging of stuff out of the ground, and the identifying of that stuff in a historical context, or, or just a description of it when you can't identify its historical context. There's nothing wrong with that part of archaeology. Yeah, they definitely trump up all types of fanciful stories to bring the funds in to help, you know, support their next, you know, event or dig or whatever. It's, it's crazy what they keep coming up with, that, you know, to get new funds and recognition and to support their, their Jewish lives. But, of course, whenever it gets disproved, you never hear about that. Well, right, and that's always covered up. The biggest problem with archaeology since the Jews totally took it over, especially in Palestine, they've taken it over since the 1940s, right? They've controlled all the archaeology in Palestine. The biggest problem is that they keep digging and very little gets published. They're not publishing. They're not publishing a tenth of what they find. Fifty years later, it's not published. Well, that and they keep people from digging over their period. I remember whenever I was over in Turkey... There were just mounds out in the middle of wastelands, out in the middle of flat land. You'd see these huge mounds. And, you know, we're driving through the roads, and I was driving through the roads with my dad, and he's just looking over at it, and he's like, hey, Aaron, I wonder what's under that one. You know, we'll never know, because they won't right. let us dig. You know, well, he, right. he was frustrated about it, because the few things that they have dug up over there have been beautiful, glorious finds, you know, backing up the Bible. Christianity. And that's one of the reasons why they don't want to do it. <laughs> well, well, the people that live in Egypt now, the people that live in, in Palestine, and the people that live in Turkey, they're disconnected from that because they know it's not them and they don't care about it unless they can make money off it. Exactly. And, and the Jews spin everything. But even in archaeology journals, I've read of the dissatisfaction with the rate and the speed of which digs are actually published. The results of digs are actually published. 
that they've been publishing very little and, and digging a, a lot more than than they've been writing well, or, or presenting, yeah. I should say. Exactly, and and I know that from firsthand. There was this one town we went out to, and they had this uh, this mosque built. Or I shouldn't say mosque. It's like it was within a castle. They had this uh, building built over this burial site for this one guy, and he was a giant. He was huge. I, I saw his coffin. It was massively long, hmm. and, uh, and and they were telling me all these stories about this giant and and uh, different things he did. And, and, you know, this was back when I was a kid. This was junior high, you know. And, of course, now within my studies that I'm in now, I'm, you know, all these things are coming back to memory. And I'm like, where was that? And I'm trying to find this this landmark that was in this one town. I can't find it. I can't find any any documentation of it anywhere. Frustrating. <laughs> they hide it. They, they, they don't want the public to know this kind of stuff. Yeah, the Chinese laugh at the out of Africa Jew theory because they know that it, it they, they're not related to whites and, and they know that whites aren't related to blacks and none of them are related to blacks and they, they know it's all bunk. The Indians, too, are, are, are um, an Indian, I hate to say Indian scientists as if they could actually have any, but yeah, yeah the Indians are actually very much against it also. Uh, I think science, China and science is, is an oxymoron, too. But well, they do have people trained in Western disciplines. Let's put it that way. One thing I did find interesting uh, with India, you know, with the beautiful multicultural environment I have to work in, I'm, I, there's some computer programmers that I'm that I've talked with up at my work, and and they've talked about the hierarchy and system over there and and how the untouchables are the people who are shunned and and treated as slaves and and those are usually your darker indians and as you get wider you're treated with more respect <laughs> this is in india right right and uh, and and their most revered holy you know uh priest or whatever they're called um are white or have white a white a white complexion? I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, well, right. I think that caste system was initially put in place because they began race mixing, and it was put in place to prevent it, and and it didn't work. But they know that that it's better to be white. That that it's very clear. Uh, this is um, it's it's incredibly blatant in Indian culture that white is better, and, and Negroes are the same way, and, and they'll despise a high yellow, but they know that the high yellow is higher up on the scale than they than they are. The 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 blacks despise mulattoes, but then they look up to them economically. They they worship them and and um. 
Yeah, you'll see the light-skinned blacks rise to be their leaders all the time. The Jews definitely know the uh, benefit to uh, getting some whiter-skinned Jews. <laughs> They've used it to their advantage, haven't they? Well, well, right, exactly. The Jews and their white skin, they, they fit right in. And it's incredible. That they wouldn't be able to destroy us if we never mingled with them. Nobody would be able to destroy us if we didn't race mix. Yeah, and I'm sure they're... You know, and I've thought about that with um, that probably being a dilemma for the Jews when it comes to the Asians and, you know, or China and all that. You know, they it would be a little bit hard, wouldn't it, to go in and usurp power from them, you know, being that it's a little bit more difficult to, I don't know, to, to walk, am walk amongst them, you know, and, and, and fit in. Right, but a lot of Jews have already mingled in with them. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I had a um, I, I had a picture on the Christoginia forum somewhere that I posted, and and it was from a news article that somebody sent me, and and it was um a a tall hooked nose Chinese looking guy, and I named it Jaime the Chink, and put it on the forum, and and he he was actually second in charge of the central bank in China. Oh, big surprise there. Now, now the the top guy at the central bank of good night, Matt. God bless. The top guy in the central bank of China was looked like a native Chinaman, right? But this guy was second in charge, and he had a big hooked nose and slanted eyes, and he was Chinese or he he was a Jew, and <laughs> he kind of looked both. It, it was pretty funny. Oh man, that reminds me. I found this video just screwing around on YouTube, just wasting some time. I was pulling up, you know, the most ridiculous stuff I could find on the Jews through their own stuff that they they publish uh, through their YouTube accounts and all that. You know, Jewish dancing, Jewish break dancing, just just being stupid, wasting my time. I guess I was bored, wanting to be entertained. I guess. And uh, I came across one of these videos that they some Jew organization put up of this uh, Jewish girl uh, interviewing. The uh, the Orientals because um, what was the thing? The Olympics were being held out there, and she was going around interviewing them to get their take on what they thought of the Jews. And you know, some of them didn't know who the Jews were, and then some. And then she went to like the colleges, and of course they knew. And and the most hilarious, most interesting um, interview took place there, where these college uh, guys um, were. Discussing with her on that they were, what were they saying? They were saying, um, yeah, we know about the Jews. The Jews are real smart with money. Uh, they're a lot like us, and um, they own most of the banks, and they um, have a lot of power politically. And they just started calling all this off, and it was hilarious because you know they were. They were speaking the truth, you know, and and, uh, and uh, she didn't stop them or anything, you know. But I could, I think she was a little bit uncomfortable as to where it was going. <laughs> oh, 
I'll have to dig that one up. That sounds interesting. Well, we are. We have to have. Some, we have nothing else on the marriage thing tonight. There's, yeah, you know, I know there's a ton of stuff I could have discussed that I probably forgot to, and and half the people already left. But that's okay. But um, there's still a bunch of people here. There's nothing else that I, I may have forgot that I should have discussed. And I, I know tomorrow I'm going to kick myself in the butt for thing for remembering things that I should have discussed and didn't. Right. Okay. I guess not. I'll drop the subject. I get it. <laughs> Robert? Yeah, I was just thinking about the Jufro while you guys were talking about the giant oh. with the nose. <laughs> that just cracks me up that you can have a, a white-looking person with the, with the black uh, hair. Yeah. Uh, Bob had to learn what a Jufro was when I was in Pennsylvania last month. <laughs> it is kind of amusing. I first heard the term from my son. I, I mean, we, we know that there were Jews with, when I was a kid, that there were Jews with that woolly hair. But um, well, my son used first used the term Jufro in front of me. That's where I learned it from. I thought it was funny as hell, and, and you know, once you see Gene Wilder, like Corsican Sword mentioned, then then you know what a Jufro is. That's funny. <laughs> we just never called it that. You'd, we'd look at him and know he's a Jew, but we never called it a Jufro, right? That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it kind of shows you though that, that they have to be mixed. How would you end up with that? Well, well, right. It, it's definitely, I, I think, from from their um, being mixed. White people shouldn't have hair like that. I don't. I, don't I, I know some. I've known some Irishmen and some Germans that were pure that had very curly hair, but that not that stiff, kinky Jufro look. You know, it's it's. There's a big difference. The, the Jufro is almost Negro in its texture. That should be the first indication that they're mixed. Absolutely. I'm surprised you don't have any more takers on the marriage stuff. I know. I thought I'd have people here with, with all kinds of questions on that, but I just wanted to establish that... Um, yeah, you know, the the verses that he's quoting to try to enforce the law also tell us that we're we're discharged from the law because that law was Israel's law of the husband and he died for us and, and we're discharged from that law. We should as Christians seek to uphold it. I'm gonna talk about that on a different program, I think. I'm gonna do a program just on Israel's relationship with the law and I'm going to do it from the Epistle of Romans, probably um, chapters 2 through, or chapters 1 through 7. And, and show that Paul also had a great struggle in explaining what our relationship with the law should be. But we're not going to be judged by the law. We're judged by grace. We're judged by the mercy of God 
upon the children of Israel and his promise that all our sins were going to be cleansed, that all our sins were going to be forgotten. And, and there's no exception to that. And, and that's so that he could uphold his promise to Abraham. It's not for our benefit. It's for his benefit. But once we learn that, and, and once we learn the impact of that, then we understand the parable where Christ said that he who is forgiven much it is very much the gr more the grateful. And, um, and, and once we understand that, we shouldn't want to go out and sin more. We should rather want to do our best to live up to that, that, that um, ideal that God set for us. But, but you don't judge your brother by the law if you're not going to be judged by the law. That, that's why James says, who are you to judge your brother? And that's the that, that's what that's the struggle Paul had with with the disputers at his time was that we shouldn't simply sin more so that grace abounds more. Rather, we should establish the law. That's what Paul said. But that doesn't mean that we judge each other by it. It means that we hold it as an ideal, and and we seek to to live up to it. That's what it means, but that's not yet we have to take the practical approach and, and not the ideal approach to the problems that confront us in life. These people want to take the, the ideal approach and enforce it. And, and it's just wrong. It, it's Phariseeism. It's not Christianity. Okay, I guess I'm going to um, end this program. And thanks, everybody, for being here. And praise Yahweh, we could go to the open house. house.
yellow blood running cold. Fight until you die on the rock of force. My God, it's hard to stop. Your love is in my mind, it's for champagne. Fight till you're no longer free. Let another one jam curve and buy. How many of them can we Marching drum, we'll win the war and we'll be the tone. We'll fight as a one in heart and soul. Make the next step and the right of his own. Fight to keep this land your own. Drop on the horn and call the cry. How many of us have we been dying? Thank you. 